0: Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading, exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Donna Gambrell, President and CEO of Appalachian Community Capital, or ACC, and Brian Vo, Chief Investment Officer at Connect Humanity. We discuss the state of the digital divide in Appalachia, one of the least connected regions in the US, and a new partnership between ACC and Connect Humanity to help bring about more local investment in broadband infrastructure. We also get into the role the federal government's $42 billion bead fund can play in solving the problem and more. Donna and Brian, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to get to talk with you both today about the digital divide in Appalachia and what your organizations are doing to help close it. Um, But first, let me give you both an opportunity to introduce yourselves and your organizations. Donna, let's start with you. Okay,
1: Nicole, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Happy to be here today and happy to be here with Brian Vo as well. My name is Donna Gambrell. I'm president and CEO of Appalachian Community Capital. We are a community development lender. Uh, A fancier name for us is Community Development Financial Institution, or CDFI, and basically we're a nonprofit lender. Uh, We raise capital for our members who are located in and doing business in the Appalachian region, which consists of all of West Virginia and portions of 12 other states, starting with the bottom portion of New York and literally going all the way down to the top portion of Mississippi. Our focus is on small business lending and we've been around since 2013 and um, doing some extraordinarily impactful work in the region. Happy to be here today.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm excited to dive more into that. Um, but first, Brian, I'll give you a chance to reintroduce yourself. You've been on the podcast before, but in case anyone has committed the grave sin of missing one episode of The Divide, um, I'll let you reintroduce yourself and Connect Humanity and tell us a bit about um, the uh, Connect Humanity's Appalachian Digital Accelerator, which is going to be relevant to our conversation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Brian Vogt, uh great to be with you all today. Uh, Chief Investment Officer of Connect Humanity. Connect Humanity is a Nonprofit impact investment fund uh, advancing digital equity. Um, so we really think about our work uh, in two halves. Uh, one chunk is working with communities that recognize they have a, a a digital divide problem, but may not know how to get to the finish line. And so our philanthropic programs team uh, will usually use some. a a set of grant mechanisms to work with the community to really develop the plan of what's the most optimal way to connect uh, your residents, particularly focused on historically marginalized communities, low income, rural, and or communities of color. Uh, But we know a plan without capital is as good as no plan at all. And that's where the investment team steps in to really try to continue that conversation uh, to get it financed, to get it built, uh, so folks can actually get an internet subscription. Uh, so where uh, the Appalachian Digital Accelerator program fits in uh, really is on that that first half uh, of saying you know, uh, for the, some of the most uh, marginalized, underinvested in communities, uh, those experiencing you know the digital divide in in you know, uh, the most serious ways. Uh, uh, How can we help them to uh, start putting some feet forward, uh, moving towards uh, connections?
0: Okay, cool. So sticking with you, Brian, for the moment, um, tell me a bit about how your organizations are partnering together, and then Donna, please feel free to chime in as well.
2: Yeah, so what we found in the most optimal network builds is it really requires deep collaboration by a ton of different stakeholders. So uh, you need the community and the community voices, right? To be able to understand what are the natural assets, geographies, uh, uh, constraints um, in, in the, the community, uh, but also uh, where, where do people tend to congregate? Uh, oh, is it, uh, do we need to make sure we run the network through a local library or a local set of churches uh, or a local education institution? Um, And so I think community voice has a lot to determine uh, uh, in, you know, what is, where do you most optimally place your network architecture? Uh, And then beyond that, uh, what really is affordable for that community? Uh, And I think it's always that balance of uh, uh, what can be afforded um, versus, you know, the the business uh, element of it. Um, and I think without that conversation, it's too easy to miss on either end of the spectrum. So community is very focal there. Uh The second major chunk is the Internet service provider, right? Uh, somebody to actually uh, build and operate the network. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, uh, the concern uh, and certainly a lot of opportunities that have come through the investment desk is they've had tons of great, inspiring conversations with the community. Uh, 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 but no internet service provider who will say, I will build it in that way within this time frame, and we think it will cost X, right? And it's hard to move forward with an investment without that, you know, uh, uh, some might call it, you know, quote unquote investment readiness element to the plan. And then lastly is the uh, investor uh, element. And I think what we found there is there is there's varying levels of understanding of how to underwrite. Uh, these uh, investment opportunities uh and in, in different ways of uh looking at the risk um, and i think where where we've really come out on that is uh you know uh, we see it as an, uh, broadband infrastructure as an essential service and if you look at infrastructure through that way um, that sounds like infrastructure risk which is infrastructure returns um uh, and and i don't think uh enough investors uh, are thinking a bit uh, about it in that way. So ADA basically is working with communities to try to bring stakeholders from each of those key groups together to figure out what is the build, get it financed, and get it done.
0: Okay, got it. And uh, Donna, so tell me a bit about how you guys are working with Connect Humanity then on this, and then I want to take a step back and actually talk about the what the digital divide looks like in these mm-hmm. regions.
1: Yeah, we were really excited when Connect Uh, humanity approached Appalachian Community Capital, because frankly, I believe that CDFIs really fill that breach in communities that others um, either cannot or won't. Uh, CDFIs have been around for many, many decades. And in many ways, we are very similar to Connecting Humanity in that our mission is very similar. We are focused on underserved uh, communities, those that are low income, communities of color, Uh, rural native and others who have been uh, marginalized um, for many decades, many generations. And for us, it really is uh, always about the mission. And even though we are a nonprofit, there are different categories of CDFIs, CDFI banks, CDFI credit unions, CDFI venture capital funds, but all with the same mission of supporting underserved markets. And so, you know, certainly I think when you look at Appalachia, uh, and for our 34 members that are located in Appalachia, they are on the ground. They are working in those communities day in and day out. In many cases, they have been around longer than we have, Nicole. There are some CDFI members that have been uh, working in Appalachia for 40 years or more, and so they know the community. They um, are are high touch organizations with people who really understand not only what the um, challenges are, but what the opportunities can be. And I think when, you know, clearly we have seen that there is uh, great gaps and voids in the region. We particularly saw that during the pandemic, and we understood very clearly that there were, um, you know, a need for high-speed networks for many families to access jobs or educational or medical services services. Um, for small businesses and other businesses to um, really look at ways in which they could pivot and 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 actually fill some of the need during uh, the pandemic and even after to think about what their future business enterprises would look like to have better trained work, workforces and all of that. And yet within this region, with all of its cultural and natural resources and richness, you also just have some real challenges, including Uh, You know, clearly a lack of, uh, you know, affordable health care, educational challenges, and by the way, broadband deserts, uh, a lack of technology that will allow people to, you know, do business on a phone or to connect through their computer. And I saw this specifically during the pandemic when we were working with our members on government programs. Uh, in particular, uh, an example was SBA's Paycheck Protection Program, and people who were who could have taken advantage of that program were having to drive miles just to get to a place where they could file an application or to communicate with a a CDFI because they didn't have internet at their business or at least good internet in, at their business or their homes, and so it really drove home the point um, that technology is absolutely critical. Uh, for the growth of a community and, frankly, to help that community thrive as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds to me, you know, of course, the digital divide is an issue uh, all across the U.S. It's something we are now working towards solving. And we'll talk a little bit more about the federal government effort in a bit. But um, it sounds like it's a particularly stark issue for Appalachia and rural Appalachia. Is there anything more you can tell me about how significant it is um, for families there and any any other challenges? Is it just, just a lack of capital or is there more uh, to the challenges than that? Well I
1: think it's it's certainly about the lack of capital so about the lack of affordable capital,
0: yeah um
1: but it's also about you know I think we we see ourselves as as wealth builders in many ways. How do we work with communities to help those communities to help those households build wealth to build generational wealth as well, and you yeah. can't do that if you don't have the connectivity that's often required to make that happen. And so, you know, the, we're, we're dealing with a number of challenges that we're trying to address that have been decades in the making. Um, yeah. But I, I'm convinced that there's light at the end of the tunnel, that it can be done. And I think if you have committed partners, um, that there is a way to actually overcome a lot of those challenges. Right,
0: anything you wanna to add to that, Brian?
2: Yeah, and, and from a statistical perspective, uh, uh, we know that the digital divide impacts low-income areas, rural areas and communities of color disproportionately. And in many communities in Appalachia, you have uh, uh, two, if not all of those components. Right. Uh, and so uh, some of the, uh, the research that, that we've been compiling shows rural Appalachia is disconnected uh, 2x more than, than uh, the rest of the U.S., right? And so okay. the, the divide is very stark.
0: Okay, okay, all right, you've both really illuminated that for me. I appreciate it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the uh, solutions that have and have not worked and um, and as well as the forthcoming funding from the federal government, the, f- the 42 point f- $42.5 billion dollar BEAD program, broadband equity access and deployment. Um, lots of that funding will flow through Appalachia. I would love to hear your thoughts on how you hope that funding is distributed and how far you think it's going to go towards solving the problem. Um, either one of you can feel free to chime in first or both at the same time, and it can be confusing, and we'll figure it out after that. Let's see what what happens. Sure.
2: So uh, yes, BEED will help, Uh, but just to give a little bit of history, uh, if we look at the past decade, you know, from two thousand and ten to two thousand and twenty, government spending has allocated anywhere from fifty to seventy billion dollars to closing the digital divide. Yes, at the national uh, at national level, but we're still left in a situation where forty plus million Americans have no internet, and one hundred and twenty million Americans don't have broadband, a.k.a. can't even connect on to, to Zoom. Yeah. Uh, so when, when I look at this $42 billion coming from Bede, yes, I have to be optimistic because I, I think it's going to be uh, uh, the best shot in a while to, to help close the divide. Uh, at the same time, knowing that history and, and also some of the requirements coming through Bede that uh, make it harder for a lot of the organizations we work with to get funding, uh, or organizations like community-centric ISPs, uh, uh, I think there's gonna be an extra need for private capital to supplement. We already know there's a 25% capital match uh, with the programs. So nationally, even if you're looking at a $40 billion BEAT program, you're gonna need 10 billion right off the bat for, for private capital. Um, uh, the, the numbers that we've run for, for Appalachia uh, uh we're expecting anywhere the need for capital to be anywhere from four to nine billion dollars uh and that's just for folks that don't have any internet when you add unserved folks to that that grows to six to twelve um now uh, Appalachian states were allocated four and a half or so billion dollars from deed in total we can go with the assumption for a second that that money is was spent 100% effectively and efficiently for a second, uh, that still leaves you with a private capital gap of one and a half up to $7 billion. Uh, and, yeah. and so, uh, and, you know, we know there will be many communities that don't win beat at all, right? Uh, so what do they do? Right? Mm-hmm. So the, the magnitude is is still quite large, uh, even with e commitments.
0: Okay. Okay. Understood. Uh, you want to add to that, Donna?
1: Oh, oh, I think Brian said it so well, and I think the only thing I would add is, is or, or emphasize is that there really is this need for um, public-private sector partnership. You have to have those two. You can't yeah. rely on government solely um, to address this problem. And I think that if you have those two entities, uh, you certainly have a better chance of moving the needle. I think in places like Appalachia, uh, what what has really been one of the biggest challenges is the lack of consistent capital and resources into these types of initiatives and investments. And so, mm-hmm. we are really committed to doing this, um, quote unquote, the right way. Uh, yeah. You know, infrastructure matters. We want to make sure uh, that there is a long term commitment here. We want to make sure that our partners understand. Uh, The the, uh, communities and populations that we're targeting are ones that have, frankly, have the greatest need. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even in Appalachia, when you look at, you know, the persistent poverty counties, and those are, again, um, defined as 20% or more of an area's population living in poverty for 30 or more years, one-fifth of those persistent poverty counties, or about 86 of those counties are in the Appalachian region alone. So we've got some work to do. Um, but I think again, w- with the, the with, with the right kind of vision and the right kind of partners, uh, public and private partners, we can we can move the needle. We can make some change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, Brian, since you mentioned some things you're concerned about with the BEAD program that would impact the type of providers who would service Appalachia, um, I would love to know you know, what those things are. I know Connect Humanity is concerned about the letter of credit requirement, which is a significant capital match on top of the capital match. Um, is it just that, or are there other stipulations, for example, the fiber, you know, the the imp- Emphasis on fiber is that um, realistic for Appalachia? Um, tell me, tell me a bit about your concerns.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We see every community is different, and, and so I think uh, Connect Humanity will always start from uh, the uh, the most optimal for uh, longevity, right? And and that is fiber. Uh, uh, there are geographies that just make it incredibly difficult, if not impossible. Uh, and so uh, at the same time, we wouldn't want that to prevent others from uh, being able to prioritize fiber. So I, I think it's a lot more of a nuanced conversation that uh, going out and saying, you know uh, X only, whether that's uh, you know a certain technology or modality or whatever it is or, or even business or operating model, uh, I think it's it's tough to do. What we found is infrastructure is just so hyper local. Uh, and it depends on, uh, what works best for that community and geography plays a big part to that, um, uh, but not the uh, only right. And so, yes, that that part uh, is a little bit concerning. I, I would also say uh, some of the subcontractor rules and requirements are, are also of a concern. Uh, and it, it's uh, I understand how a lot of the rules are are certainly well intentioned, uh, but when I think about the operating models, like the the realities of the situation of, of many community centric ISPs, they don't have that balance sheet. They can't carry uh, you know those types of uh, labor agreements, um, whether it's you know full time or contractor basis, um, w- 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 without really having certainty of what's coming on the other side. Uh, so, uh, the biggest concern is you know the rules that. Uh, that they were the the design the way the rules were designed uh, to in, hopefully promote non-incumbents, smaller operators, community friendly ones, uh, those embedded in the community uh, I think there's the unintended consequence of, of it actually disincentivizing if not penalizing them.
0: Mm-hmm. okay, understood. Um, All right. One last question for you both, and then I'll let you get back to solving the digital divide for the great people of Appalachia. Um, You both mentioned, uh, you know, the issue of poverty and and low income uh, households in the region. Um, So I imagine that uh, to get people to invest private capital in this region, they're going to need to know that people will be able to afford broadband service. Uh, And I imagine uh, that in With that being known, that you both probably support the Affordable Connectivity Program, which provides a broadband subsidy for low-income households. And I also imagine that you're both aware that it is at risk of running out of funding um, and that other programs like the Universal Service Fund are sort of in uh, tricky spots. So I'd love to hear from each of you on the importance of affordable broadband programs at the federal level and uh, anything that your organizations can do to help uh, encourage your friends in Congress that you may or may not have to uh, get together and fund this program. Um, Donna, I'll turn to you first.
1: Okay, great. Uh, So there are a couple of different thoughts that I have about this. First of all, I think you have a very strong CDFI industry of 1,400 to 1,500 CDFIs across the country um, that are supported by... Treasury's CDFI fund. Um, And I think there's a real opportunity here, Nicole, to really look at the programs that are being offered by the CDFI fund and determining ways in which broadband can be even more visible uh, within those programs to allow CDFIs not only to take advantage of the funding that would be provided to them, but also to pass on that funding and those resources to the communities that they serve. So I think there's a real opportunity here to for the CDFI Fund to play an even greater role, and for CDFIs, frankly, um, to play an even greater role in in providing affordable uh, broadband access in partnership with others. You've also got the Community Reinvestment Act, which has been around since the mid-1970s, which basically says that banks have an affirmative obligation to meet the credit needs of their community, including low and moderate income communities. It's going through a modernization process right now. Uh, Back in 2016, there were references uh, in the questions and answer guides for CRA that talked about the need for banks to look even more closely at alternative services like broadband, And I think when you look at what banks provide in particular, whether it's in lending or investment or services, certainly the service piece, broadband fits very nicely into that. As CRA goes through a modernization, one of the things that we have um, included in comments letters, uh, comment letters to the bank regulatory regulatory agencies is this need to really look at technology, to look at broadband services, to really uh, even reemphasize and reiterate the need for banks to become even more involved uh, in these efforts to connect communities and help connect the dots. So I think that there's a, a great opportunity uh, in both of those cases to, to do more. Uh, three cases, really, CDFIs, certainly a CDFI fund, uh, as well as the Community Reinvestment Act to strengthen that as well to ensure that. The last thing I would say is that there has been a um, community development finance caucus that has been formed by Senator Mark Warner of Virginia and Senator Mike Crapo of Idaho. They've come together in a bipartisan way. I think there are about 24 members each on each side of the aisle that have been working to look at ways in which they can better support CDFIs. One of the topics um, has been broadband technology and, and related services. And so again, to the extent that we can continue to emphasize uh, to that bipartisan group, the need for funding, um, for existing programs and or new programs, I think that that can also be a way to, um, ha, you know, make a difference and to affect change as well.
0: Excellent! You've given me a few more federal programs to obsess over. Thank you so much, um, Brian. Go right ahead.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I absolutely agree with with everything Donna was saying, and and I think that's been a lot of the inspiration, uh, in in the partnership between Connect Humanity and, and ACC, which is uh, certainly on the demand side, uh, we've seen ACP absolutely critical in a lot of the communities where we're trying to invest in. Uh, we've been able to complete financings purely on the basis that ACP was available uh, in, in high uh, poverty concentrated areas. Uh, so uh, on the supply side of it, the capital supply side, it's been in, incredibly helpful uh, as well. And I think if you throw in a lot of the tools that that Donna was talking about, uh, CRA, CDFIs, that's local capital. Um, and uh, I think a, a a lot of the genesis of the partnership was our recognition that if we wanted to make this work truly sustainable, we can't just keep talking about you know, local ISPs for local infrastructure, you also have to add local capital into that mix, right? The, 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 the capital that can provide, uh, certainly patient long-term capital, uh, but has that intimate understanding of that community, its needs uh, and, and the ebbs and flows of its economy, right? And so uh, I think this has been really a, a, a holistic look, uh, but just in the microcosm of Appalachia, uh, where I think there's a a huge opportunity, uh, for, for us to bring more, more capital, um, to, to this issue.
0: Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you both taking some time to chat with me about this, and I'm looking forward to keeping up with, uh, this partnership and all of the wonderful things it does to help solve this problem. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Nicole. Good to see you, Brian. (laughs) You too. Thank you again, Donna and Brian, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landreau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.